0: My name is Chris Blitzarves, and welcome to the Chase Your Greatness podcast. Today's guest is a very special one. It's my younger brother, Mark. Now, Mark currently plays for the Geelong Cats in the AFL. He's played over 200 games. He's a dual club best and fairest and a premiership player. Not bad for someone who just grew up running around an oval in downtown Sunbury. Today, we touch on our background as a family. Mark's transition from running into the world of AFL football, his thought process and the way he attacked his training from the moment he got into the club to where he is today and what makes the Geelong Football Club such a special environment to be a part of. For me, I really enjoyed hearing Mark talk about culture, leadership and the strong values that the Geelong Football Club has been renowned for over the last number of years. He gives a great insight into what makes the cat such a wonderful environment to be a part of and why so many players from around the league want to get down the freeway and pull on the hoops. Along with this, Mark gives us a look at how he attacks his day-to-day training and explains why he works so hard at maintaining his high-performing training habits. This is a great chat. It was a lot of fun. It was awesome to catch up with my brother given the schedule clashes that tend to happen between our family it's pretty rare to get us both in the same room for any longer than 10 minutes so it was great to get round to his place enjoy a home cooked meal and sit down and have a good old fashioned heart to heart with him as always if you haven't picked up your copy of chase your greatness yet jump on amazon throw that in the search bar pick up your copy and get chasing and without further ado here's my conversation with my brother mark litzards all right, mate, let's get stuck in. We're uh, coming to you from uh, what is this cars? Cars at a blitz in the wine room.
1: We're in the wine room. Yep. We're in,
0: we're yep. In the wine room.
1: Should have got the fireplace going, but it's actually a balmy night tonight, so we didn't need it. But uh, yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: No mate, I uh, appreciate you coming on. It's um, it was it was a bit last minute actually. Like this whole this whole setup, just asking out of the blue what you were doing on Wednesday night and whether you wanted to sit down for a chat. So, I do appreciate you uh, dropping <laughs> dropping everything in your massive, massive schedule that it is your day off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: day off today. So,
0: that um,
1: nah, I was uh, yeah, very happy to do this and uh, we did have a set of tennis pre this um, and a nice dinner. What was the score on the tennis in the end?
0: Yeah, no, you, you handed it to me, which was good. It's actually... Six it's, love, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's cool, a pretty yeah. pretty good lead-in, actually. Like, I mean, you, you think back to our childhood and and growing up the way we grew up there wasn't much that went on that didn't have a winner or a loser in the end was <laughs> a, it was it was pretty it was very competitive and, and very we were very driven in individuals and I think yeah I think you had that real I would say that not the competitive competitive streak in you but you definitely cared a lot less about people than I did.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we're um, we we're very competitive, weren't we? Um, I was probably slightly more obnoxious winning than when you were, and I was more of a sore loser. But, um, yeah. What did we do? there was the uh, tennis, cricket, basketball, table tennis, everything and anything. I reckon yep. and everything was a was a competition Nintendo twins.
0: 64 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Xbox yeah, yeah. WWE yeah. simulating on. even we we scripted events one of us was still shitty that we lost yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. oh yeah that was that was actually that was actually funny and it, it's very fitting that tonight when we came around it was alright mate you want to sit down and do the podcast and it was like well Nah, we'll, we'll play it. Have, come out, come over here and I'll show you the tennis court. I'm mowed into my lawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. painted it in a deck chair, set up as a net, and it's like, let's have a game first. So, like, well, I'm 34, you're 32 now, and it's still, it's still, all right, let's let's just fill that competitive cup before we actually sit out. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Talk we should... well, probably more on dad's side. I've probably oh, yeah. got more dad's obnoxious, uh, competitive sore loser streak, and you've got mum's modesty probably, but... Um, Yeah, always competitive between us and Sarah, Um, but yeah, it's it's always good fun doing whatever it is, as we mentioned, tennis before, but um, even at Christmas time, we played 2 on 2 basketball on not even a quarter of a court, and (laughs) in bare feet, and we're still serious, blood, sweat and tears, so... Hey,
0: legit, like, this Christmas is gone, it was, (laughs) it was was the game, and the game stopped for about five minutes, while the four of us, myself... You, um, dad and Sarah were just yelling at each other about what the score was and whose ball it was. Like, we don't even know what the rules was. We had the ball bounced out of court off the back fence into a tree and we're just like, no, no, no it's out on you, it's out on you. <laughs> there was a five-minute debate it was raging about who was uh, whose possession it was, which yeah, is entertaining. Someone's
1: but. got footage of that. That went up on the ground for a bit, I reckon, yeah. I was arguing.
0: <laughs> it's probably still floating around now. Yeah. Um, but all right, let's get stuck into somewhat serious stuff. Um, how accurate is the backstory? Because I obviously know you better than most, and and know, I guess know the situation you um that led you to being a key part of the Geelong Cats club now. But you know, when the media gets their hands on, um, on their hand, hands on stories like yours, they can tend to. As much as they want to portray it accurately, they can tend to twist it and put a little bit of mayo on it for whatever suits them, but how accurate is it?
1: Yeah, uh, there's always mayo on all those stories because it it sounds good and it probably reads and sells better, whatever it is, but um, yeah, obviously my background was athletics, so um, when I got drafted, I was 21 at the time and still really keen on athletics, so... um, but it wasn't chase. that was that's one thing so let's didn't love the Wood I was just doing it at the time but I was a middle distance runner so I really enjoyed that um and when you ask sort of how accurate it was um yeah I suppose like I wasn't probably that close to making the 2012 Olympics if I'm honest with myself I was probably seven and a half seconds away from the 1500 which is quite a lot 50 60 meters in the end so But I was only 21, so I still had those dreams and aspirations to... I would love to have competed for Australia and and gone to the Olympics. Um, But as a 21-year-old, that opportunity... I was probably pretty young at the time. Didn't eventuate And um, the opportunity with the club when that came up. um, I was still pretty hungry to try and see what I could do in the athletics world. So, um, yeah, when I first signed as a category B rookie, it was on the sort of proviso that I could still compete and try my hand at athletics. And um, yeah, the club were awesome with that. So I dealt with sort of Wellesie, Neil Balm, who was the general manager at the time, and obviously Scotty. And um, yeah, they were more than happy to give me a rookie contract, pay me. And I wasn't at the club, I was competing. And that was helping to pay for my interstate trips to compete. I went overseas for a couple of months to compete. So um, yeah, i always feel pretty in, indebted to the club for, for that opportunity. Um, and yeah, I didn't, it allowed me to see what, it, where, how far I could go, I suppose, in that 2012 period of like April, May, June. And then, um, yeah, from there I wasn't, I didn't qualify for the Olympics, had a great trip, um, enjoyed my time competing and then, um, came across to the club, uh, as a football in, what was it? July of twenty
0: twelve. Yeah, right. Um was it I suppose in that moment where you missed the missed the cut, so to speak, for for London, um was there any desire to keep going? Like I it's it's different because you already had the I guess the pen to paper with the cats, but when you missed out, was there any desire to go, well I'm not quite done with that?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I reckon there might have been a bit more desire if I had made it, actually. Um, Because maybe I got a taste for it and thought, oh, actually, I'm actually on the right path here. I'm going okay. I'm competing at a high level. um, And I'm having a little bit of success. So, um, yeah, that was always a really big decision. And, I mean, my probably sounding boards to chat to is mum and dad. I I spoke a heap to them about it and um, they sort of just said, it's probably not going to work if you have any regret. regrets. So if you go to football and you're thinking about athletics and what could have been or what might still be, it's probably not going to work. So mum and dad's advice was pretty much just to, if you decide to go to footy, like give that give that 100% crack. You, you can't look back and be like, oh, what if? Or oh, if this doesn't work out in a year, I'll go back to athletics. You sort of had to have that attitude of, no, nah, that's gone now, finished. Um, I've got this opportunity and... and try and take it on so um, yeah I sort of wrestled with the decision a little bit even though I'd signed I'd sort of I was probably 60-40 going to footy but there was still that big chunk even though I'd signed with the club that oh no I'm going to continue with athletics Um, but yeah after speaking to especially mum and dad um, and and the Guthries as well obviously being good family friends and, and being a massive part of getting me to the club um yeah, I, I made the decision and then first week in I I had no regrets. I was like, Oh, this is a great decision, yeah. I'm I'm loving it, I'm loving the new challenge and I set myself a challenge to try and um be as good as possible, as quick as possible. Um and and yeah, so there was those conversations with mum and dad and the Guthrie's about moving across and um yeah, I just wanted to make sure that when I did I I didn't have any yeah, regrets.
0: Mm. Um well wind forward to well, we'll get to when you got to the club shortly, but talk us through your your running career. I think, because um, I I was pretty blasé growing up, and I didn't pay much attention to much as I as I went went along. And all three of us, so so yourself and and Sarah and I, all went through little ass, and I got to under twelves, I reckon it was, and it just wasn't for me. So I just ducked into basketball. Um. But you kept going, and I I didn't enjoy athletics, which is why I left, obviously, but the moment I stepped away, I gave, you know, zero care or zero thought to how people actually kept going in that sport. So, because um, so I know you ended up running out, like, for Kiel or St. Bernard's, correct? Yep. yep. Doing, doing a bit of that, and then how did that end, <laughs> eventuate into, you know, your, I guess, your state and your national level opportunities? Or yeah, how um, did it eventuate into the, you, you know, pushing for London?
1: Yeah, well, well, we did athletics as young kids. We did every sport and athletics was one, I suppose, Saturday mornings. Just had a heap of mates, which I really enjoyed going to in my sort of under... I started at some athletics under eights, all the way down the 13s, kill little athletics from 13s to 15s. So I had a heap of good mates throughout that whole period. And um, I know I just like the challenge of pushing myself and and running and and I suppose I had a bit of success so I really enjoyed it and then that natural progression of after lit athletics then what do you do you go into sort of seniors it's called so I went to Keela St Bernard's and and um yeah had a coach and some good mates there as well which really helped and then along the way still playing a bit of cricket basketball was the other one um but it was probably about when I was about 16 um, Dad spoke to me and said, oh, might be time to look at making a decision between one of the sports. If you're really keen on one, maybe just start looking at having a real crack at it. So um, yeah, it was basketball versus athletics and I chose athletics. So um, yeah, sort of put basketball to the wayside and was with Keola St. Burns for a bit and then went across to Athletics Essendon, and that was mainly, again, because I had some of my best mates who were at athletics Sessenden. So I did that. And throughout, I'm just, I suppose, trying to learn as much as I can about um, my body, how to push yourself, enjoying the training, enjoying competing and having a little bit of success while also going through puberty and getting really tall and lanky and having a couple of years of trash running there. But um, yeah, no, it was always really, really good fun. So I did that and um, yeah, so I was just every year just trying to improve and improve and improve and it was probably the last... Um, as a 20, 19, 20 year old, I started having a bit more of a, um, my times were coming down a bit more success with running. So then I was able to compete against more of the men's and the, the open, open leagues sort of events. So, um, and then from there, once you start competing against them, you want to go further again. So it's just that natural progression of this is the goal. Okay. Now this is the goal. Now this is the goal. Um, so then the goal for me
0: was the Olympics. When did it get to that point? Um, like, do you can you pinpoint it where you're like all oh, right i'm a fair income shot at at making london
1: um probably not a fair income shot at making london but probably probably i thought to myself oh i'm i've got a bit of a potentially i've got a bit of a career here um and that was when in 2000 early 2012 i ran in wa and around the 1500 my pb was like 348 at the time and i just hung on the back of some of these really good open men runners and ran I think I came like fourth and ran like 343 and I was like oh that's a big chunk down now I'm sort of that's a great result I'm still not um, near those like high 330 runners whatever it might be but um, like I'm getting there so I feel like that race sort of showed that oh okay what I'm doing is going okay and I'll con- if I continue to improve eventually I'll start running some international stuff and and um. The 2016 Olympics in Rio could be a real possibility. I'd be 25 at the time. so. Um, but, yeah, I had a bit of that that success in that those races early 2012. Um, and I'd already signed with the club by then. Ended 2011 is when I signed with Geelong. But, um, yeah, that's when I felt like, oh, there was a, there was a chance there. Um, and then, yeah, I I just wanted to – I suppose part of me wanted to go overseas and tick that box off too, which is why – um, after that sort of Melbourne, Australian season racing in summer, you go April, May, you go over to, to Europe and race. And so um, I only did four races over there, but I got a bit of a taste of that, which I was really happy I did. Looking back on it now, I was really happy I got the opportunity.
0: Yeah, nice. Um, going through the um, the training side of things for it, actually go back to that race where you, you knocked off that massive amount of time in Perth. How did you feel at the back end of that? Like when you finished, and it was a while back now, obviously, but did you finish that race, you know, sitting on the back of those, those four or five guys that, um, you know, were essentially probably the elite of what Australia had to offer? Did you feel like you had more in the tank? Like, did you feel like you, you wrapped up the race and you're like, all right, I can, I can hang with these guys and, and probably knock them off or did you get to the end and was like, geez, I'm cooked?
1: Um, oh, it's always tough. It was a 1500 race. So it's always tough. Um, I felt really happy. I remember calling mum straight away because she was really into the athletics at the time too and um, yeah, letting her know what I'd just run and the coach as well. So they were sort of a little bit shocked that I'd run that because um, I, I think I was just going to feel the numbers in the race. Um, but yeah, I, that I was going flat out help, trying to hold on to these guys. So um, part of me was like, oh, I've got a bit of improvement as the optimism. Um, looking back on it, I was probably still pretty young that I needed a few more years to build strength and that endurance in my body but um the memory of of running that straight away I was I was pumped yeah I was I was on cloud nine for a while there.
0: Beautiful. I remember um and you've got a reputation in the AFL of being relatively durable which is a good quality to have um but I remember one This is part of, this is probably one of the only times I actually did pay attention to your running career, is when you're, um, you you ended up at Falls Creek for about two weeks longer than you should have because of a, uh, a pretty, pretty freakish kind of injury, right?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I fell in a creek at Falls Creek. Would you believe it? So, um, (laughs) very fitting. fitting. Yeah. This is in the summertime. So, um, for us as athletes over the new year's period, which now my new years look a bit different, but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be talking to all my mates like, what are you doing for New Year's? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to Falls. And they're like, oh, really? That's, yeah, Block Party's playing or Red Hot Chili Peppers are playing. That looks good. I'm like, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> like Falls Creek. And they're like, what? Um, they're doing about Falls Festival. But um, yeah, we'd always do that every summer. And um, yeah, just one, one normal run with, there was about 50 of us on this run out um, through through some of the uh, hills and falls and stuff. We just crossed this like, shallow river crossing it would have been like an two inches deeper water not much and then rocks over and I just slipped and fell down um, smashed my knee on a rock but I was with like 40 others and there's a few laughs in the group that I fell over so I just quickly got back up and kept running and I'm like oh that yeah that hurt but all good a bit of adrenaline then maybe a k down the down the path I'm like oh this is still hurting quite bad and I look down and my whole front shin is Covered in blood, and I'm just going, getting further and further away from the pack, and I'm running slower and slower. So, I was with one of my other mates. I was with Jacko at the time, Ryan Jackson, uh, one of my other running, good running mates. um And and yeah, I said, oh mate, I think I need to go back here. I stopped, and I've got a, I had a hole in my knee. So we're 25 minutes out in a run, so I had to run quickly back um with Jacko. Um, took me to Mount Beauty Hospital, and they're like, oh, you've actually, you've cut it so deep. Pretty much near where your tibial tuberosity is, which is like, if anyone has like osgood slatus, like those little knee knee bumps just below the kneecap is pretty much there. And I'd nicked my actual patella tendon, like I'd cut my patella tendon. So um, my leg blew up, got a massive infection. Cellulitis so was in hospital for a week. This is when I was uh, 19. So probably 18 months before I signed with the club, um, was in hospital. And then I was just like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. All good. Tried to run a month later no good, had no real clue because hadn't been really, um, done any rehab, hadn't really had guidance on it. So didn't really know my body or what was going on, but it sort of got really bad tendonitis. And because of the injury, wasted away a bit. So I was pretty much out for the whole of, um, 2009. It was 2009. So it's pretty much out for the whole of 2009, bit of 2010 too. So, um, that sucked from a running point of view and not being able to do really any sport. But um, what was really good about that was um, I went and saw this physio called Jill Cook at Alfington Sports Med and she's uh, one of the world leading in tendons and she just taught me, taught me what was going on and taught me how to really look after it. So for when I don't see her anymore or future, so now when I look back at it, this was 13, 14 years ago, now I've been able to know, okay, what's going on in my body? Yeah, is it tendonitis is flaring up? This is what I need to do, this is what I need to do. So I found that really, really helpful and I spent that whole year just in the gym, leg press, leg extension, what tendon exercise, Spanish squat, whatever it might be, um, to to really help. And then then when I did get back to running, I felt like that was that was one thing that helped me jump up to sort of that next level in, in running in athletics as well.
0: Yeah, people don't understand how much or how important that gym strength and conditioning, you know, proper physical therapy aspects of performance is. I don't think like with you major injury, and granted it was a free occurrence. And if you didn't have it, you probably wouldn't have the understanding your body to do now. And with me, big back injury, same thing like didn't understand how like I skipped plenty of leg days leading up to that injury. Like I was, I was a little bit out of proportion. Um, but then same thing, like ended up working with, working with, with Sammy or Sam Whaley out in, in Bayside in Melbourne and, you know, got back to, back to, I was in better shape post injury than I was pre-injury, which by reports is the exact thing that happened to you. Yes. Yep. So, um, I think there is there is definite oh there's a lot of good stuff that comes from from bad injuries, and you speak to people who even now like there's a it seems like every third day you turn on the news and someone else has done an a c l in sport, and I guarantee you speak to them twelve fifteen, eighteen two years down the track, like they're like, yeah, I didn't understand how important. The staying, being strong, getting strong, and staying strong is for long term. Not only performance, but long term health as well. Yep. Like the injury forces you to educate yourself mm, with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's cool, and I think that has led to, like I said, you having one of the, that tag of being incredibly durable on the football field, probably because you know your body true.
1: Yeah, it's helped. It definitely has helped. Um, coming into footy as a 21 year old, too. I suppose I was <clears throat> a little bit more. Mature than my draft year, I'd sort of had threes of maybe a bit more life experience, studied, worked full-time. Um, and then with that, um, came learning more about my body and how to look after it. Um, and then the other thing was that with athletics too, if I look back on it and the cross-country running and all that, like I, would, I couldn't recommend doing athletics more to help with anyone wanting to be elite at any sport just for the skills you pick up and I reckon it's made me resilient in my body. So, um, In what way? Like touch wood, I, yeah, I haven't had many sh- stress-related injuries and I haven't had many soft tissue-related injuries. So the injuries I've picked up have been from tackles or knocks or knees or like impact collision type injuries. So um, yeah, the soft tissue one, one probably because I can't, <laughs> can't get up to the speed to tear a muscle, so <laughs> I'm pretty lucky there. But um, yeah, we, we tick off 14, 15K Games where you're getting running pretty high high intensity levels and and getting trod on and tackled and up and down and the my body's holding up really well from the soft tissue and stress point of view so um, I would put a lot of that down to one knowing my body and being able to manage it through those years and two having come from that background of um, sort of that middle distance running um, has made me resilient and like when I say that I would like for the last sort of. 12 to 18 months of my athletics career I was I was running about 120 to 140k a week so that helped too um, fair,
0: fair, fair bit of load in that
1: Yeah but with all of it you just learn to like from the steeplechase I did high jump like what else did we do we did the hurdles and stuff you just learn to jump and you learn to move your hips and you learn to run and sprint and stop and whatever it might be so um yeah I, I've been pretty lucky in that sense
0: Mm. um jump forward to like 2012 now you actually you know put put that chapter or close that chapter of athletics now and you've you've stepped into you know the geelong football club um a club with incredible history incredible culture um and a lot of people around the place that have got a lot of experience and have got incredibly high standards um how did it go from, you know, I guess a, a sport where it's essentially individual, like you run for a team, I guess, but it's really realistically it's you yeah, against it, yeah, you, big time. Um, how did you go step into an environment when then you've got people, you know, expectations that you need to meet from a from a team aspect instead of just an individual one?
1: Yeah, uh, that was probably one of the challenges I You have to learn pretty quick. You got to be pretty. pretty um... You'd be less selfish and think more about your team and all that. How'd um, you go with that?
0: <laughs> oh,
1: pretty good. Looking back on it, I really enjoyed the the team sport now
0: compared to the the individual sport. Because I think going back uh, pre pre-AFL days, <laughs> I think your uh selflessness wasn't exactly one of your qualities was it?
1: Well, yeah, no no no, I don't think it was. Um, <laughs> no well, yeah, because you are as an individual sport and I see it now. Um, it's tough and you do think so much about yourself because, um, I suppose you're the only one that can control your result and there's, you put all that pressure on yourself and, um, you've got no one to, um, blame if it all goes wrong. And then the other end, you've got no one really, I mean, you can celebrate, but there's no one really to celebrate your success with you as much, I suppose. Like you've got your team around you that I'm trying to think of if someone who ever won the win a olympic gold medal like unbelievable you've got that those people to celebrate around you um but no one's accomplished that but you so the feeling would be unbelievable but i've really enjoyed thinking about yeah other people my teammates so that was something i had to learn really quick um and then when you said about the experience and all that um skipper selwood s- s- sat me down early days maybe my first week at the club we just had a coffee together and he was just like oh Mate, just work hard, just see see where you can get to. Um, but just, just give yourself the best chance. Whether he thought I'd make it or not, I have no idea. But he just said just work hard and, and have a crack and um, use the resources. So that was the other one. So when you mentioned the experienced people around from Sal, I've mentioned Andrew Mackey, Harry Taylor, they're the ones that I really went to early days from a player point of view and from a coaching point of view is Max Rook, Dale Amos, um yeah Nigel Lappin and then obviously see Matty Scarlett when he came back because he wasn't there when I first joined but um yeah I just tried to ask as many questions as I could to learn how to play football what what the team tactics were and then how to be a, how to be a teammate and how to be a good teammate and Harry was the big one on that on um what you're doing helps you want it to help yourself but you want it to help the team so always put that first and and what I'm doing right now, is this going to help the team? Is this helping a teammate? And if you do that, then you make yourself better.
0: Has that been a mantra you've carried through your last, you know, 200-odd games? Like, is that always yeah, I sort hope of so. sat, sat in the back of your head? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Yep, yep. I'm more than happy to do... Um, I'm more than happy not to get much credit and just to play my role. I, obviously, I want to try and win every game we play. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to... Um, do what's asked of me, and and try and be, and I want to be the best teammate I can be. And so is that, if that means, um, yeah, I try and really um, base my game on doing things that maybe people won't notice, like a, a smother here or a shepherd here or a little sledge here, whatever it might be. So, um, but yeah, I, I try and value those sort of one percenters. And um, yeah, Harry sort of really spoke to me about about that. Yeah,
0: because I think it was, it's cool, like seeing you go into the club right and you hear it and we brought up the media before but you hear the media say oh like i can't believe how quickly he's picked it up i can't believe you know he's a natural natural athlete oh he's just you shouldn't be able to kick a ball like that or you shouldn't be able to read the play like that when you haven't played football since you know what you played two school games back in a year 10. Like under sixteen footy, and then you you know very next game you play two or three VFL games, and then you like, oh mate, and you get, and that was it. Like you see the big story around you, especially the early days, it was like you shouldn't be. You've got no right to be doing what you're doing on a football field. True.
1: Yeah, yeah, that.
0: Like from a media standpoint.
1: Yeah, I, oh, I mean, I try not to read too much. I don't really follow it that much i just do the papers for the quiz and that's all um (laughs) another competitive one that you and me you beat me tonight so yeah yeah there you go um Um, but yeah uh yeah i'm not
0: necessarily saying that you were paying much attention to the media but that's the that's the narrative that was going around for you for your first two or three years of your career yeah that's what it was because i was on the outside looking in and you hear all those stories whereas you're you know obviously within the Unisanctum and no one really gives a shit about the media within the Unisanctum anyway yeah um yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm
1: probably not surprised they they sort of saying that because it was a good, like it was a good story. I was pretty like, I got my first game through a lot of injuries to a lot of our ruckmen. They were all injured, <laughs> so so. But I also had a really good preseason that 2013 year, and was healthy in a bit of form. And so one, I made myself available because everyone else was injured. But two, um, because I'd asked the questions and I'd worked hard and I thought, oh, this needs. I'm going to make sure this works and I'm going to leave no stone unturned. I I made myself available and improved enough that Scotty had trust in me to play round one. And then from there, I just was able to pick up little tips and tricks to try and improve each game. So then yeah, when the media is saying that at the end of 2013, start of 2014, two years in, like I'm not surprised and my teammates aren't surprised I'm doing that because I'm showing that at training and how I live my life professionally at the club each day. And, like, I played under-11s and 13s and, like, we would always kick the footy in the backyard and it's not like I didn't I didn't come from a... It'd be tough to come from a... Like, you see some of these Irish boys. It's like what Mark O'Connor and Zach he has been able to do. Coming from Ireland, they'd play Gaelic, but they've never touched that sort of shaped footy before. It's uh, it's pretty impressive for them.
0: Mm. But nobody knows. Like, nobody really knows our backstory. That's what I mean. Like, no one understands the the days and weeks and months on end where we'd come home from school and we'd get home at 3.30, throw the bags at the wall, grab a footy and go out back and we'd we'd genuinely be out there till 7pm, you know, until mum's yelling us for the 15th time to get in and eat dinner. Like, we'd be out there clowning around, you know, you'd be doing your, your best Bruce McAvaney impressions and... um. Impersonating Andrew McLeod. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know where you created the nickname tugboat for him. I know. I
1: have no <laughs> idea. What, I would have been eight, and I just I. No, you
0: wouldn't. You were, That was I reckon thirteen, fourteen years know. old then.
1: I don't know. I don't know where I got that nickname for him, but I loved Andrew McLeod, and I, was, <laughs> I remember. And then even we had the Maccas footy inside the house. Yeah. Kicking goals from one end to the other, but yeah, that was just we were just really lucky. That was, I suppose, the the childhood and the lifestyle that mum and dad encouraged us to have, and um. Yeah, we grew up in summery, so we had a bit of a backyard and, um, yeah, had a basketball and a footy and a tennis racket from a young age. So we just loved all sports. And, yeah, so I suppose able to pick up skills and the learning of sport and all that coming back to me trying to improve my first couple of years, being taught the right way because I was sort of uh, had the ability from a young age to then um, pick up sports and and learn because we played so much. We just played in the backyard so much. And then um, because I was a blank canvas, hadn't played much footy, I was being taught, I suppose, the right way from these experienced guys and and when you say the Geelong way, the way they wanted me to um, play for them. And and so I was really lucky that um, I wasn't really influenced by anything else and I was just a blank canvas. And when I went there, I just, um, yeah, sort of was able to help myself by by working with all these guys.
0: That was In a roundabout way, that was the point I was going to eventually get to, is the fact that you were a blank slate walking into the club. So when you wind it back and I say the media had this narrative about you playing and like they're blown away by the fact that you could do what you could do on a football field. I'm like, well, I'm not necessarily surprised because you've got realistically some of the best coaches around you every single minute of every single day teaching you how to like basically giving you the skills to play this game the right way like you don't have any bad habits to to knock out because you've never played at that level you've never played at a serious enough level or consistently enough to have any bad habits so you're completely blank and then you can come in and they're just basically all right beautiful let's Let's layer on some skill work now. Let's layer layer on some some tactical and some conceptual understanding. And because you you don't have anything else that you need to push out of your you know your long term memory, everything's fresh, everything's new, and you only have one way to do it. Which I think, like I said, I you hear that narrative. And I'm like, well, I'm not surprised because you're just getting spoon fed everything. You know, just you're not questioning anything. You're not wondering as like, oh, that's not how I was taught before. You're just like, okay. That's what you want me to do. That's what I'll do. And then everything else just, it should, it almost feels easy because you don't, you're not second guessing yourself because you've got nothing to second guess yourself about. (laughs) Like you just, just roll it in. It's like, oh, that's what Scotty told me to do. That's what I'll do.
1: Yeah. And, and that's the, I suppose that came down to one, having all those experienced teammates and coaches around me two, having the, um, the want to learn and ask questions and improve. And that drive to work hard and push myself. Um,
0: but I mean, it is it is like that. Like, because I was about to dive into your mindset and your, I guess you talk about the want to get better and almost the need to get better mm. because you've come in from another sport and you're like, well, there's that element of realistically, nobody thinks I'm going to make it. Like, you can see all these B category rookies and people sign them all. Just because, oh yeah, we see a little bit of potential, but no one's like, you know, betting the house on whether they come through and perform. Like, what was the the process behind it all? Like, you're thinking day to day, every time you step into the club. Where's where's your head at? Early days.
1: Um, probably motivated to um, prove a few people wrong, just to make sure. Well, I mean, I didn't see people not thinking I was going to make it, but. Um maybe proving myself right, that I'd made the right decision. And um, yeah, that sort of urgency that I was like, I've I've sort of thrown away a potential athletics career here to come to footy. Okay, let's not waste that opportunity. So I was really motivated to improve and I was really urgent to improve as well. I sort of didn't wait around. So um, yeah, my biggest challenge with footy, this was what I was gonna say before, sorry. My biggest challenge with footy was actually um, the physical capacity um, to put on muscle and to um, adapt to getting tackled or um, getting a Corky or putting my head over the ball when these 100-kilo guys, and I was 86 kilos at the time when I first got to the club. Um, yeah, so trying to put on that weight, got to 95 after my first season and a half. And and um, there's one thing, I'm working hard, but two, you've got to actually, there's going to be a bit of pain in that. And I remember Maxi Rook said on day one or day two of my... First time at club, there he's like, "This is the best you'll feel ever in your career. It's only downhill from here. So um, you'll get corkies, and you just got to learn to play with it. And you'll get um, yeah, whatever it might be, sore spots. So um, yeah, that was my sort of biggest challenge. But I was I was I was really motivated and urgent to get the best out of myself. And then it was probably mid to late 2014 was when I really started feeling comfy that I belonged in the team. And this was after 35. 40 games with the club now, then I was feeling really like, okay, yeah, I belong in here. And then I could start. I tried to do it earlier as well. Um, but yeah, when, when I started feeling really comfy to communicate and barking instructions and telling some senior guys, go left or or come up or I need you to help me here or whatever. That was sort of a big turning point for me too, where I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I do belong here.
0: Mm. So that was, you said mid-2014, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think, like, and I, I don't know... I'm, I'm obviously very biased, given the fact that you are family. Every time I go to watch you know, watch a game, I, I tend to keep... You watch the ball and you watch the play, but you keep half an eye on what you're doing as well. And one of the biggest things I've noticed about the way you play, especially over the last... Well, probably not over the last couple of years because you spent more time up in the midfield, but when you were, you know, yourself and, and Harry were, were key parts of, of that back six, like, you would genuinely be the last line of defense and you would just be directing traffic for 80% of the game like last man defensive 50 and you're just telling people where to go like you cover here, you go there, you stop there run here and I think you know winding back to 2012, 2013, 2014 when you first started to seeing where you're at now like there's a big change in confidence which was really cool um now do, was that just a matter of knowing that you'd put in the work or was that a matter of just other people saying yeah you you can do this or we need you to do this or what what led to that big shift you reckon Oh
1: probably just combination of improving um, playing more games trial, trying to communicate with someone and and all that worked and then communicating a bit more and then receiving feedback so you're just constantly just trying to build and build to the point where then that's what you naturally do. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, that was a big thing for me. Harry, I suppose, again, spoke to me about it's really loud out there on field, so you need to communicate really loud. And then when you talk about that defensive spot, we're all barking instructions to each other, whatever it might be, push up. Um, I'm, I'm holding down, you fly over the top, take a third up mark, whatever it might be. Um, you want to get to the stage where you've played so much with each other, there's so much trust there that you don't even need to. If you could, if you, the back six, if the whole team, that's perfect. If the whole team could play with tape over the mouth and no one speak, you just trust that everyone's doing, going to do the right thing and everyone's going to do what you th- what you expect everyone to do. And so you wouldn't need to communicate at all. But that rarely happens because people get fatigued and mm. lose concentration at times. So you always need to be listening and, and using your voice. But um, yeah, we're, we're able to build some really good trust between a few of us that were really close back there and um, had some really good chemistry, um, but yeah, it was probably when you talk about that, I felt comfortable doing that, really comfortable doing that, and felt like I belonged sort of end of twenty fourteen, and then just found ways to try and improve it and um, yeah, give more. I suppose not harsher feedback, but give
0: in game. You got to give
1: yeah more direct. You got to give real time feedback, so you can't. The game moves too quick, so. Um, I've caught my fair share of sprays from a lot of my teammates and I've given out a few too but um, because you work so closely together and um, you've got that relationship of trust that um, I know it's not going to get taken in any wrong way and and you when then you can take a breath post-game the following day when you're doing recovery or whatever it might be to then be like oh you know how we had this conversation like um, this is what I was thinking you should have done this and and then maybe it's like, oh no, I was thinking this. Like, oh, okay, let's watch that edit or whatever it might be. But you always sort it out. So, mm. um, and again, as I put that back down to trust and having good on and off your relationships with my teammates. That when we do give um, feedback out there, um, positive, negative, constructive, direct, whatever it is, that it, it, it's never taken the wrong way.
0: Where's the trust come from? Like uh, big, big question. But you have to think about. and yeah. I've got my own theories on it but I see I see the Geelong Football Club as having one of the best cultures in in the in the country, and I was lucky enough to get over to to Ireland with you boys to watch Merrick play, which was a fun few days wasn't it? um but where where does the trust come from amongst your team?
1: um just from for me, consistency with training and and playing and and, or not even not even so much playing, training and and working hard together. And so um, whether that might be doing a drill like against Busey or Merrick, Jack, whoever it might be or um, yeah, doing some skill work with Garth, like you're just constantly out there together that you know exactly what they're going to give. And when I say that consistency, like regardless if Cam has a bad game or a good game, like... It's, the difference isn't that much because he's worked so hard and for so long and he's done it so consistently over time that it's just built trust that um, when it's his time to go, he'll go and he'll um, he'll do the right thing. So, yeah, I, I just put it down to consistency and, and training together. and um, yeah.
0: Was there a team blueprint? Like when you talk about consistency and training standards and training habits and that kind of thing like where's that come from has that just come from years of playing together or it was there when you when you got there did you speak to your senior like your harry's and yourselves and those sorts of players and they were like this is how we do things these, um, are, these are your non-negotiables yeah, these are, these oh, are the benchmarks you have to meet
1: yeah no it's never it's never this is this is the way we do things like we're all really we've got like a really relaxed professionalism at the club, which is really good. So we're, we are treated as adults and we're treated as professional athletes. So there's the expectation. You mm. admit, you expect to act like a professional athlete and that goes from whatever it might be. Like if you, um, if you know this food helps you perform well, fine. If you need a diet because you need to lose a couple of kilos to perform well, then do that. Um, yeah, the, the high standards was taught from the older, the senior blokes when I first got to the club and no doubt when they first got to the club, the senior blokes that were at the club told them and and now then what we try and pass on is our standards that we've been taught and what that we see have been successful, then we pass them on to the younger boys. So, um, yeah, I, we, you want to... And the other thing is too, if we ever dip, I feel we've got some really good people around that will pull you up really quickly which is, I reckon is really good because you don't want it slipping too much. You don't want it consistently being a, a whatever it is, a poor session or a late mm-hmm. to a meeting or little things. But all of a sudden, it's 10 little things and they we're in a bad way. So, um,
0: How does that get resolved quickly? Like well, you said, you got lots of good people around you. Give us an example of how, can you think back to a practice session where it's starting to go, on down, go downhill and someone's just going, nut, stop it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh. There's any one of not you can name so many players that do that, which is really good. And then so that might you might be a bit fatigued in a preseason session, whatever it might be. Uh, quick chat narrows the focus, and we're back into it. Um, but it, even so, we've got I feel like we've got such a really good two way communications with everyone that if um, whatever it is our our like for me, if I'm personally like oh I'm not wrapped with my weights program at the moment, I'll go chat to my gym coach and be, and work with with him or her, whoever i'm dealing with and being like this is what i feel really good helps me this i don't think helps me as much this does what do you think and we shape it together and so i think everyone's really good at giving and receiving feedback and then shaping off that and we're we're, as i said we're treated like adults and we're treated like individuals so not my blueprint plan to improve me in my game doesn't necessarily work for like jeser or danger or whoever they'll do other things like Isaac Smith, 34, he might be at the club for half an hour every two weeks. <laughs> and then there might be a few young boys that are at the club eight hours a day for the next four weeks because that's their individual program. But, um, yeah, I, I think um, it's just stemmed over consistency that um, I suppose when you say you've got a good culture, the, our attitude and the way we train. Um, and Scotty leads this really well too that um, – yeah, like when it when it comes time to train, like he'll he'll let us know, like oh this is this is when we're on. Like we don't ask for much intensity, but this is we're on, and so everyone's like, okay, yeah, now we're on. But this is match play, this is intensity, whatever it might be. Mm. And then it's, today is like, oh no, this one's just not too bad, cruisy, whatever. But um, yeah, that that would, that's the big thing for me too. When we're on, I I feel when me personally when we're doing some match play. And we're on. That's when it's when it's go time, and you can really see if people aren't up to that scratch, and then you let them know. But um, yeah, I suppose everyone's on that on that same page.
0: Mm. Um, talk to me about leadership. Well, I think a lot of it's probably going to tie in nicely with probably the last ten, fifteen minutes or so that we've been talking about culture and values and and habits and training habits and that kind of thing. But you've been a part of the leadership group for. Well, probably the last five seasons or so, and you were vice captain for two. Yep. Or, yeah, for two yep. two of those years as well. Um, what qualities do you like? How does the a How does the leadership group? How is it established, and and what qualities are looked for, are sought after by, you know, arguably one of the most successful AFL clubs in in history.
1: Yeah, we've probably got a bit of a diverse leadership group um which is really good so if you looked over the time previously we'd we'd have different personalities in there um probably one common factor was they all everyone that was sort of in there was all had an appetite to learn and improve and get better so they could help the team to have success and then on top of all that they're good players as well and and so whether they're good players, that's why they've got those qualities or they've got those qualities, that's why they're good players. Sort of, who knows? But um, yeah, that was. I really enjoyed um, sort of those sort of parts of um, being in the leadership group. We've sort of gone in a different direction. Not a different direction, but like um, we're sort of at a period where we think, like you say, five or six guys in the leadership group, whatever it might be, but we've got so many leaders at the club that um, why would we deny others? Mm. so like we're again, we have um, big open meetings, um, whatever it might be about um, tactics this week, um, how we think we're going, blah blah blah. So um, yeah, I think that I'm not sure for us, it's not gone is the days of leadership groups, but um, again, She's as I said approach. it's a two way street. All the coaches and staff and players are working all together to get the best outcome and so um, like I remember last year if like some of the coaches needed some chat about tactics they'd go to Dunks and Higo. would <coughs> they, they wouldn't go to me because um, <laughs> my tactics is seaball kickball right yeah
0: but um, your real sort of Oz kick type of setup yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah. with McLeod again anything, but, um, <laughs> just run it grab it yeah. throw it on the foot and see, how, see what yeah, happens yeah that's right Um and yeah and if they wanted to maybe I've got some great relationships with some of the younger boys that if they want to just see oh how how's the group going how how are we feeling it's the middle of winter halfway through the season we're feeling pretty connected or um, like we've got some injured injured boys how are they going maybe they they chat to me or they chat to um, Merrick or whoever it might be so it's really good like we've got a lot of different leaders with a lot of different strengths that all get utilized so but my I mean I if I was to describe some of my qualities as a leader like I'd always want to be on field known as a good communicator. I want to, as we mentioned before, like I want to be able to help set up and if I can communicate, if someone of my teammates is lacking a bit of concentration, I can bring them back so they're in a better starting position and then they win the ball and kick a goal. I'm stoked with that. They have kicked the goal and all that and I'm stoked that I was able to help set them up. So I always want to keep doing that and um, for me, I just want to show everyone that I can have a really good balance between being lighthearted and really enjoying my time in football, but also then flick a switch, bang, now we're serious and we're on. And I think that's, yeah, that's, I suppose, what I want to continue to do while I'm still playing.
0: Mm. Um, Talk to me about loyalty. Now, I'm of the opinion that loyalty in sport is dead. Is dead. (laughs) Yeah, gone. Now, I think... What
1: what sport are we talking about? NBA? (laughs) Like,
0: uh, oh, it's yeah. not even, I reckon it, uh, loyalty it's loyalty in, in sport in general. Mate, you look at half the... There's been deals done in the AFL that I reckon it, like no one gives a shit about their team anymore. Like, I'm not going to name names, but I guarantee if I actually sat and thought about it, you could probably come up with six or seven examples in the next five minutes or so <laughs> that where you're thinking, well, he's chasing money. He's chasing money. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yep. I think um with you and... But, but to
1: be fair, that's not... A, that's... I mean, that like... If it's when we talk in the NBA, we talk in the AFL too. But if they, if some club throws far more money than a different club, like you can be as loyal as you want, but it is it is tough. Mm, like, oh, money talk! That talks. would be tough money talk. So yeah. it would be, it would be tough. And I've never been in that situation, but I would like to think that if I was in that situation, I would still um, be loyal. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, sorry, you probably had a few questions in there, but I have no. Um, bad like I would I would have no bad illness or whatever like um no, no, to, no ill feelings Ill, Ill feelings nice from you that's good yeah I'd have no ill feelings to any of my teammates if they ever did that or anyone else who does that in the AFL or, or whatever else um because they're brought, yeah, they're looking after themselves it's a, it's a job and, yeah and it's, a, it's a job it's
0: a promotion like you've got to go and, and chase the cash if you've got families you've got mortgages to pay and that kind of thing like absolutely you get that side of things yeah um, but the little anecdote I had was I was chatting to um to a mate at work, um, and he was saying that he was listening to a, a little snippet on I don't know SEN or or something where they were talking about the league's most underpaid footballers, and you were far and away top of the list. Like, and obviously nobody knows the exact dollar amount that you're on. But they're always saying, oh, yeah, like. That is crap. Not- <laughs> I'm just call my
1: dad, he's my manager. It's <laughs> <is> some bullshit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's another story we could look at yeah. about that relationship. But yeah. um, no, they were saying, like, you know, you're yeah, roughly around that $4, 450 500 grand a year mark, where realistically the way you've played would warrant, you know, 750 800, 800, 50 from other clubs and you see other players at other clubs that are signing million dollar deals that couldn't hold a candle to how valuable you are to your team now you know you're in the process of you know negotiating contract extensions and that kind of thing but given the fact that the cats showed that faith in you and took that chance on you early early days does that you know, do you feel like you are 100% going to be a one club player, even though, and obviously they're pretty, you know, black and white questions and there's lots of shades of gray in here anyway, but, um, do you have that, I guess that, that sense to, or sense of loyalty towards Geelong for, you know, taking that chance on you?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I feel very, um, grateful for the opportunity they gave me and indebted to them, um, and as I said, I'd love to. I'd like to think I'd stay loyal. I, I think I really will. Um. Yeah. One because I, I like, I like the fact of that. I like the fact. I don't know for some reason, <clears throat> post my career, if you can say one club player, I just like that title as one club player. And again, again, it doesn't matter if people have gone to different clubs and that's their choice, whatever. Um, and that's fine. The other thing is. I feel like why I feel like I want to be loyal and want to stay at Geelong is because of the people involved. And, um, as you mentioned the culture that the guys before me and the, and the coaches and the staff members before me and all that have created, they've created this place of, for me, I get to go to the club and I'm, I've got some of my best mates there. Um, It's really relaxed and fun and enjoyable. I feel like I'm learning. I feel like I'm improving and I'm challenged. Um, And I feel really safe there. And um, I think that's um, maybe why we are able to get some players to Geelong where we are and what we bring, what they can bring to us, but what we provide for them um, as well. And so, yeah, I'm sure if there's, if I wasn't enjoying it and if I didn't like the club and I didn't have many mates here, I'd I'd go. But I do, and I feel like so. Um, yeah, it, it'd be different in everyone's situation. But yeah, uh, loyalty for me. I'll, I'm as I said. You you said I'm in the um, negotiating a new contract, which I, we've all agreed to anyway. That's public. So um, yeah, like I'm going to be around for another couple of years. So um, yeah, that is yeah awesome and if I'm I don't look at if I'm underpaid or overpaid or whatever I'm like it's a negotiation between me and the club I'm happy with what I'm getting they're happy with what they're paying we're both happy that's great and I, I would hope I'd never be greedy either so because I, I also look at the bigger picture that if maybe if I'm a little less greedy there's a little bit more money to maybe get someone like a Jeremy Cameron to help kick 45 goals per game to help us win the flag and then all of a sudden we're sitting here on premiership player and I'm Pretty bloody happy with that.
0: Mm. It is, yeah. It's 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 the I guess it's the the kind of impression that I'm getting about not only you but the majority of the club as a whole. It is incredibly team first, and when you think about you know loyalty being dead in professional sports now, it seems like that's not the case down in Geelong. Like the the culture and the connectedness and the people down there are so close knit that a nobody wants to leave, and b people want to be a part of. And I think if you can find that environment, and it's probably not just in sport. Like if you find that environment in a workplace, or if you find that in, that kind of feeling in a relationship, or you know, if you find that just with your with your close circles, you've got that that every and everybody who has that close knit group of mates feels that anyway like you can have you know like 100 or 200 or 300 people you would consider friends but you know that you've got that close group of three or four or five where it just feels right and it strikes me that the cats just feel right for a lot of people which i think is really really cool and it does lead to people taking pay cuts and it does lead to people not necessarily thinking about the money but thinking about the people and it's what can i do to stay and what can i do to help you know, build this club and keep this club. at such a great spot. I think it's it's really special.
1: Mm. Yeah, and then that adds to the motivation. As you mentioned, it doesn't even need to be a sporting club. If it's a, um, yeah, workplace, whatever environment it is. If you if you're happy in it and, um, you feel enjoyment and wanting to go to that place, going to work. Let's just say, like you want, you're motivated to then improve yourself. So then, the workplace improves too, and then if the workplace improves, you're happier and you're enjoying yourself, and there's a big cycle. Okay, now I'm really happy and enjoy. I want to improve again. Now the workplace improves. So yeah, um, that's that's what, what's happening at the moment at the club, and um, we're not we're not um, lax on knowing that that can change pretty quickly. So you're always trying to do things a little different each year and evolving and all that, because. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we talk about a great environment, a great workplace and a great culture. But as you mentioned, if you don't, if you just get comfortable with that, then it slips away pretty quickly.
0: Mm. Um, it'd be remiss of me to, you know, have this opportunity to sit here and bounce things off you for for however long we've got you for. But revisiting the 2022 flag, um, we, but we were... We've talked at length um, over, you know, different little messages and, um, I guess, little sayings that have gone within your team. Are you allowed to speak about the whole outside the flags? So I get, or are you going to keep that one in your house?
1: Um. Oh no! Because I,
0: think... I find that I find that incredibly entertaining, and I think it gives a very very unique yeah, insight yeah, yeah. into how the whole long football club went about their business throughout last year yeah
1: yeah it was more it sort of came up a bit later um in the season because we, we're sort of just always as I mentioned trying to each week we're trying to improve and evolve our games so then by the end we've got it we've got it humming and um yeah it was just more about I don't know it was a game late in the season that um we weren't timid but we didn't really take them on and um yeah the coaches sort of said like instead of like Hoping we win this. Let's just win it. And if we lose it trying to play our way, well, then who gives a shit, really? Like, and so that's just like, yeah. yeah. As, uh, I don't know how much UFC fans you got listening, but um, Khabib Nurmagomedov, he's the uh, um, Dagestani wrestler, I should have gone here anyway. They always talk about taking him to deep water, and they'll drown him when they take him to deep water. Now, we weren't that serious about drowning our opposition, <laughs> but... <laughs> We're saying let's just let's just uh, yeah not play it safe pretty much let's just go out and do it our way and um, yeah if it doesn't work at least we can hang out we can hold our head up high knowing that we've tried it our way um, and that was sort of the message and that that filled everyone with confidence confidence um, to make mistakes they were just like that's fine we're like if you make a mistake trying to do what you think's right and and having a crack at it, that's fine. And so that momentum and that sort of positive energy was really good because um, if we did make mistakes, we we're okay with it and we knew the mistakes were incoming so we, like whatever it might be, we got over and supported the ball and we mopped up those mistakes. And then because everyone was really confident and um, I suppose not worried about making mistakes, Less mistakes happened, and it just happened to be. Um, when I talk about sort of that yeah, final game of the year, that was the one where it felt like everyone was really happy to just take the game on, and um, it all really worked. And there was, there was a few mistakes, and if you look at sort of that first six or seven minutes in the first quarter, the score's like 1-0 nil or 0-0. Nil nil. It was a bit up and back. We had a bit in our forward line, but um, we thought the game was on our terms, but we hadn't scored yet. But that's okay. And everyone was just like, yep, let's go again. Let's get it inside 50. Oh, it didn't work that time. Let's hit this kick, get it back inside 50. Cool. And then just work from there. So, um, yeah, that was the environment that especially Scotty led and Joel as well that, um, yeah, if you make a mistake, who gives a shit, just go
0: again. How was that? How was that received? Obviously, it was received really well, but like, it's tough not to always be thinking about, geez, I better not stuff this up. Like... How hard was it to get everybody comfortable with that freewheeling, let's just go, shit happens type of mindset? Yeah, like, was well, that was that was that was that tough to It wasn't just
1: to... yeah, it wasn't a hundred miles an hour type situation. Still... No, no, but
0: was that like a was that built over the entire season or was it just like a matter of like, mate, who cares? Let's just roll and and was it a matter of somebody making like a an error? And then Scotty Garum, nah, don't care. And then it just sort of filtered down. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well if the head coach who, you know, is arguably one of the most intense individuals in football is is okay with this happening because it was the right mistake to make, then everyone's just like, All right, I'm starting to feel a bit more comfortable, a bit more comfortable and then it was just like, Cool, let's roll.
1: Yeah, it just built over time. So over that previous year as well years as well, but this year especially twenty twenty two or sorry, the year of the flag, twenty twenty two. Um you just built up every every week. So um and it was a bit repetitive at times, but in their meetings and all that, so the whole playing list sort of knows the tactics, knows um when we want to move it, maybe quicker, what we're thinking here, whatever it might be. Um and then once you've got that down pat then just play with freedom. So that's not marking the ball ten metres out from the defensive goal and just playing on blindly. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do that, but it's, um, yeah, just playing how you think the game should play, and because we're all sort of well educated in, and we've been building up for the whole time, like everyone sort of just knew what Saving to do. Saved faith that the yeah, system's that, yeah. been built in. Yeah, and then going back to that trust thing too. If there was a mistake there, yeah, the person making the mistake trusted that everyone else would get over and help it, and and it wasn't going to be criticised for it. So um, yeah, we never we never criticise individuals in publicly like sorry in our meetings or anything like um and if you're ever in it like let's say i'm I'm in a edit where maybe i'll put the kick to a wrong spot or whatever scotty's not talking to me and why did you do this he's like what what should we as a whole do in this situation yeah okay so yeah it's built up over time and um we just got to that that place where we felt really comfy um playing the right way um with a bit of freedom in your own talent so jez does what he does grind does what he does shoo does what he does
0: who mm. was the one that ca- that coined the term let's take him out let's let's make him swim outside the flags
1: um so outside the flag
0: because yeah. you taught, when you told me that and then you ran the, the tattoo idea you me I, yeah. I found that pretty entertaining i haven't got the tattoo yet especially given the drawing was um i won't say it was subpar but i think if you well, I mean, it's unique, put it that way.
1: Well, George George did both those drawings after I um, said, can you do those drawings? And she your did group, that.
0: And that was after Your Car- group partner, Georgia. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: And that was after Kaji after party. So we, we had a few as well. <laughs> so they weren't that great. But um, yeah, those tattoo ideas got thrown up, which I haven't got yet and probably won't, but <laughs> it's close there for a bit. It's just good to have in the memory bank to know that that was some of the messaging that you look back and that, that was that year, what we spoke about, but. Um, yeah, I remember Scotty and Nige really speaking about it early, so I don't know who actually came up with it, but um, yeah, we're all pretty happy. Scotty or Nige brought it up, and then we all got a laugh out of that, and then we're all taking the piss out of it, but and by, it became, take, but it by taking the a, piss out of it, everyone's talking about it. And yeah, you, makes it real. It Makes it real, so um, yeah, it was, de- it was probably definitely up to the coaches on that one, I think.
0: How do you guys go about blocking out the noise? Now, when I say the noise, I'm I'm talking like you see... And I'm going to gonna openly, you know, stereotype your Collingwoods, your Richmonds, those type of supporters that are on the front row, you know, spitting over the line and, and that kind of thing. Like, how do you go about not only blocking out that stuff when there's, you know, 100,000 people, you know, trying to do their, do their bit to get inside your head and, and no doubt saying some stuff that's, that's pretty nasty, um, but then you know the social media side of things and and you're pretty pretty low-key on, on the socials anyway but um and you being you like you don't pay much attention to that kind of stuff anyway but is that something that's spoken about in Clubland? like you know being able to to block out the noise from a well yeah from a performance aspect
1: yeah yeah we speak about it it would be it's definitely tougher for some than others for me personally I'm Pretty as I said. I well, now I've got digital quiz, Sydney Morning Herald quiz on the on the phone. I don't need to read the papers, but I was just never one that would read. I Mum loves getting the scrapbooks and trying to show me all the articles, but I just, to be honest, I don't care if I'm in the paper. I don't want to read about myself. I don't watch much footy unless I'm we're playing in the next week because it's I do edits at the club and all that. Um, and I, besides the grand final, I don't really really watch much of our games either. Again, I watch the edits and where I can improve, but I don't go back if I've had, well, I've never had 30 touches, but if i had 25 touches and well, I've never had four goals. Geez, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good here. Um, if I've had 25 touches, two goals, I wouldn't go back and watch the game because I'm wrapped in my game. I just move on. But um, yeah, there, there's definitely social media would be very tough on athletes. And if you don't have the right support network and I know a lot of athletes read everything about themselves which is um it's always good when you're going well but as soon as you're going badly it's it's tougher out there so um yeah we've got player development managers and psychs that you can definitely talk to at the club which we're really lucky for but the club speaks about um blocking out that external noise just not so much blocking out that because it sometimes gets in and you can't help that but it's controlling what we can control and so the guys in this room in this auditorium that we're talking about where we have our team meeting these are the ones that can control how well we train how well we lift how well we prepare for the game what we do on field and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or says because that's just words but we can actually control it so um which is a tough high pressure situation but again the coach always speak about how privileged we are to be in that position because we have a hundred thousand people come watch us and so we're so lucky because we can control it. They can yell all they want, but we're the ones that can actually control it. So, um, yeah, that, that's sort of how I see it. And then uh, I went to a country foot. I went to um, I live in Torquay, so I went to the Torquay Tigers. I think it was the what was it? Queenscliff Cooters, Torquay Tigers East uh, Good Friday game, and um, just randomly a few of the other boys' teammates went. So I just thought oh, I'll go something to do. And watched it. And country footy, there was, oh, there might have been a couple of thousand people there, but sparse around the side. So that would be tougher because they've had a few tins and they're yelling out some stuff and you'd be able to hear individual sledges. And like, I was on one half forward flank sitting in the ute and the other half forward flank, I heard three blokes spray this one guy from the (laughs) cooters and I'm like, oh, poor guy. Like, And I can hear it clearly. but um, So I'm saying in that sense, it's probably tougher because you can hear each individual thing when you're at the G- with 80,000 people, it's all just a lot of like really loud noise, white noise type stuff. You can't, um, unless you unless the ball goes over the boundary and you have to go pick it up from the fence, and the guy who's sitting where you are right now, two meters from me, says, well, "It's your." Da, 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 da. Like you're not, you're just not going to get a haircut, whatever it is. That's <laughs> on. so. I do hear some oh faithful, but, oh, the old faithful. Um, go back to athletics. Um,
0: yeah. it's funny though, because yeah. you, you do that, and if the ball rolls over the fence and you pick it up and you're standing there three foot from his nose, yeah. he's not going to say anything like that, is he? He's like, Oh, here you go, sir. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, well, <laughs> I haven't had that yet, but um, yeah, it's it is it is all white noise, and yeah, it's pretty easy to drown that out. Um, but with that, all that noise that's the tough thing to then getting back to communicating and opening your ears and actually listening on field because I've screamed at people on my team 10, 15 meters away and they have not been able to hear me. So that's more of the challenge with, yeah, with people saying you're a dickhead. Mm. Who cares? So I'm just trying to fix this mic.
0: Well, that's still good. Yeah, we're still good. Good, good. Um, going back, I know, obviously you're not going to name names. That's cool. But you said you, or so you've seen people who haven't been able to block out the, the social media stuff, spiral a little bit. Like, what, what, A, what happened, and B, how did they get themselves out of it?
1: Well, yeah, we're really lucky in the sense that the AFL, PA, and all that have, the AFL provide us with a heap of um, resources. So we've got a club psych at the club, a heap of medical staff. We've got... Couple of really good with we though and Shannon Burns with our player development managers, so um, we've got a lot of support there. People to talk to, people we can trust. Um, so in that regards, if if you're ever going not not even that, if you're ever just low on going going downhill or you're unhappy or you want to speak to someone, we've got plenty of people. Um, but yeah, um, and we we they also provide education sessions on that on social media on um, education sessions on how people will try and get in your head and and all that. So um, yeah, they sort of equipped us with the tools to deal with it and um, you can sort of tell if some people aren't going as well but then you sort of just have a chat to them and that might be whether they're just looking a little bit lethargic at training or around the club or whatever. But um, yeah, everyone's pretty, I suppose, switched on to it in terms of then, yeah, we'll, we'll have people check in on them. Um and yeah, they just
0: Yeah. Probably comes back to that trust aspect, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you know, you've built that you've built that people first, team first, you know, warm, loving, inclusive culture around the cats that and it doesn't go just from the playing group and the coaching staff, it is right through the fabric of the club where everybody has everybody else's best interests at heart. Yeah. Like, yeah, And, it, and it, it, be, would, yeah. it would build that sense of trust amongst yourselves to, to be able to open up to each other and say, look, I'm not feeling real flash. I need some help.
1: Yes, yeah. And and reminding, it's good to get reminded and, and just know that the club is a safe space too. As in like, there's no old hope. And again, that you can just, that changes like that. But for me personally, I feel like it's a safe space. There's no judging. Everyone's there to help each other and wants the best for each other. So the more we can offer that, the, the more comfortable players feel inside the inside the club ball
0: mm, that's good um, talk to me I guess we'll, we'll start to wrap this thing up um, the biggest lessons you' you've had over the uh, over your time now it doesn't necessarily have to be just football either like you can wind it back back to childhood and you can take it through your athletics career and you can take it to you know whatever you've picked up throughout your AFL. Playing career as well, but if there is you know one or two big big things, or you know whether it's lessons you've learned or or just changes in the way you carry yourself day to day that that helps you perform at the highest level consistently, what would they be?
1: Yeah, um yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've just tried to continue to improve each year. So then all of a sudden I've had a 12 year career so far and being like whoa. I'm completely different to what I was when I first got to the club, but I don't really know how I got there. Just maybe taking learnings out of little bits, listening to people's answers sort of every year. Um, I mean, it's tough because some people can't help. Some people cannot help if they get injured or not, but being having that consistency of training and playing's really helped myself, I reckon, being able to then consistently train and play. You just build up that resilience, which has then enabled me to improve because I've been able to play um, the majority of the games available to, available to me in my career. Um, but yeah, f- for me, I, for me, I've based it on working hard and having fun doing that. And um, and you're not going to always enjoy it every time. But I look back on the things I've been able to do and the opportunities I've had while playing footy. Um, and it might be the opportunity you have in any workplace. If you if you enjoy it and having fun, then you tend to I don't know, have some good experiences. So um yeah, I might only have a couple of years left in the game, but I'll I'll definitely I'll definitely know I won't look back and be like, Ah, I should have done that or or why didn't I do that or I should have had more fun there. I've definitely um and I'll still continue over my career now to work hard and continue to try and get the best out of myself and improve and have fun while doing it.
0: Mm. It's good. Um, you've always been been pretty pretty quick on the lip too which is which has been good and um, it's been entertaining definitely definitely throughout our childhood like some of the <laughs> some of the banter that has gone yeah. back and forth between us has been has been...
1: Do you remember when I hit you with a skateboard? Top.
0: No? <laughs> when was that? Oh, I tell everyone
1: this. Oh, Where I you know, I saw Red when I was like eight. You might, I think he beat me in basketball or something. And I hit you over the back of the back of the skateboard. I remember that. Yeah, there you go. Knocked you out.
0: <laughs> do, you rem- actually, do you remember this time we were playing, I don't know what it was, but we were playing like Brandy or something with tennis balls or ball tag or something. There was a bunch of people around and you were flying around on the back of one of your mate's bikes. Like you, he had pegs on the back oh, of his yes. bike and you were just like standing on the pegs, like one hand on the back of his shoulder up, up, nice and tall. And you had a tennis ball cocked ready to go. And I'm sitting in the bushes here and I've, I've popped up tennis ball and just unleashed and hit you dead between the eyes, right in like smack bang in the middle of the forehead. probably from about eight foot away at <laughs> oh. full heat too. Oh. <laughs> and just knocked you clean on your ass.
1: Like <laughs> we've had some battles. We've had some absolute <laughs> battles on that. A lot ended in tears, but um, yeah, the lips probably gotten a bit better as I've gotten a bit older. Of uh, if I get sprayed or accident elbow on the face, I don't tend to cry off to mum this time. I have to stay on the footy field, but because
0: um, there's been a couple yeah. of couple of I won't say s- sledges because I don't actually know what's been said, and no doubt there's there's some very very good stuff on the that's mentioned on the footy field, which I want you to touch on in a second, but. One of the best ones I saw was just on a TV replay. And obviously in TV, we can't hear what you're saying on the field. But you were playing Essendon and I don't know, they, they got it in. You guys are absolutely serving it to them. Um, <laughs> they finally got it inside their forward 50 and somehow scrapped it behind. Um, and they got up and they went over to high five each other. It was like, and you've just run between them and like grabbed both of their arms and just threw them aside and then ran straight through the middle. It was like, you know, high-fiving it behind. <laughs> like that was, that was one of the best ones I've I've seen, um, which I still get to giggle out of today. <laughs> anything to be
1: annoying. That was yeah. Devin Smith, I reckon. And, uh, I forget who the other Eston player was, but yeah, I do remember that. I remember you saying that. I was just, I oh, don't know anything to just be annoying, I suppose. I mean, yeah.
0: But what's but yeah. what's been some of the? I won't say the best ones you've said. You didn't keep them one them close to your chest, if you like. But what's what's been a good one that you've heard, either directed at yourself or or else or nah. somebody else?
1: Uh, Andrew Mackie's always good on the lip. I like
0: even now because he's a list manager now. Isn't oh he? yeah, Him he's well, sharp.
1: Then. He's always switched on. He's pretty sharp. Um, no, uh, you you're just like I suppose I'm I'm just oh, everyone's just a fake tough guy on the field because what are you going to do? You, know, you could punch in the face and then you get six weeks and a five grand fine you don't want that so everyone's just all talk so it's just that but now i'm i'm actually um not that uh funny on the lip i'm sort of just more more annoying i would have thought but um no i mean jordan lewis in my first game at halftime we we played the hawks in my very first game easter monday and we were down by five goals and um, I'm sure there's better ones out there but this is my first game so it's pretty vivid and he comes up and he's like the debutante guy I didn't even think he knew who I was my name and he's like what are you you're five goals down what are you even doing out here and I'm just like I don't know mate <laughs> it's my <laughs> first game I don't know <laughs> I was just like agreed with you like I'm just agreeing with him not fighting back and he's like yeah alright <laughs> and then just ran off and then we ended up winning the game so yeah. that was good but um, yeah I, you seriously take the sledges with a grain of salt then. No one says anything bad, really. It's just, and everyone's all the umpires are mic'd up, so you don't say anything bad. You probably wouldn't say anything real personal, even if they did. I'd be like, Meh, whatever.
0: Mm. But, it'd be, it'd still be entertaining, I reckon.
1: Yeah, Haw- Hawkey's, <laughs> Hawkey's, Hawkey's, really good at him, um, and Haw- Hawkey's really good with um, being being quite funny. And um, there was a play... <laughs> we played him in pre season, actually. Oh, we played him in pre season, and there was this. Player going for a set shot um, down in Geelong, and um, he was wearing really long shorts. Um, and we'll, and uh, yeah, he was a, he was a tall ruckman, and he was having a set shot and wearing really long shorts. And, and there's no crowd at the preseason games, and Hawkey just goes, um, Oh, mate, is it recovery at Jan Juck after this? And those boardies, is it? Or something like that. <laughs> and just like, and so everyone looks at the player's shorts <laughs> and sees how long they are. And even the opposition teams just started laughing. I was sitting next to a few of the boys. I was playing on the wing at the time. The other wing was just cackling. And just like just innocent, funny, like dry humor like that. Like hawkey I find Hawkey really funny actually.
0: Yeah, I reckon they'd be the best ones. They'd be the best ones. But mate, appreciate that. Um I know it was it was it was done on a whim, so no, nah, I appreciate you sitting down with me for the last oh, shit, what, hour and a half or so. So Thanks uh, very much for coming on. A lot of good insight in that. Um, it'd be cool to, to, to pick it apart and, and have another proper listen later on. So appreciate you. Appreciate your time.
1: Love it. Christoph. good luck with the uh, editing.
0: Thanks, bro.